Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? And let me just, uh, last night I was out front and I was watching all these fireworks go off. And I got to thinking, I wonder how many of the people uh, celebrating party and hearty, you know, shooting the fireworks, getting a kick out of doing it. And it is fun. I, I agree. But I wonder how many of them are aware how perilously close we are as a nation of losing the very freedoms that we're celebrating having gotten by the Declaration of Independence. And if you're not aware of what is attacking America, uh, how America is being undermined philosophically, ideologically, by people who are out there teaching lots of things. One thing, for example, the 1619 Project, you may have never heard of it, 1619 Project. The 1619 Project, very quickly in a nutshell, uh, is a series of essays, and it's a belief taught in the essays that began in 2019, put out by the New York Times, shock, uh, New York Times magazine. And the essays and the whole 1619 Project is based on the belief and the teaching and the message that America was not founded to... Uh, propagate, perpetuate freedom, but America was founded to protect slavery. That's the message of the 1619 Project. From the minute the first essay came out, it grew legs and it ran. It's now being taught in uh, elementary schools all the way up to college, and it's one of many things out there that, that basically want to call America evil, that America is not good that America uh, was formed and founded to perpetuate slavery, that, that America unjustly stole land from Native American Indians, that America, that the founders were not good men, and many of the founders were slaveholders, and that they did not found America on Christianity. And basically and essentially, America was birthed in evil, birthed wrong, is wrong. And church, please believe me when I tell you, the message out there that is gaining steam is that it needs to be completely overthrown and redone because it is inexorably corrupt and therefore must be started over. You say, well, that, that just sounds crazy, Jeff. Oh, well, listen to what elementary school children are saying about your country now. Listen to what junior high schoolers and high schoolers are saying about it. Listen to what college graduates are saying about your country. Negative. I close, or we'll, we'll pray as soon as I say this. I watched an interview yesterday where college students were approached and asked, are you proud to be American? Do you know not one of them said yes? They said, I'm embarrassed of America. I, I can't be proud of America. Uh, America it has too many issues to be proud of it. And I wanted to tell them, I will pay for a one-way ticket. <laughs> to, to give you the chance to go to another country and see what it's really like without the freedoms that we have in America. And then when you've had enough, I'll take up an offering and bring you back. But that's crazy talk. But you know what? It's so sad 
Let's pray. Uh, well, let me read this verse. I haven't even gotten to the verse. Here we go. Read it with me, everybody. It's one quick verse. Are you ready? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. Father, bless this word. Help me to preach. Help me to preach, teach. Help me to educate. Help me to share the truth. Help us to understand the truth of the foundings of this country and to turn back this tide of falsehood and misrepresentation uh, designed to undermine this nation and tear it down. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, illuminate us today. Amen. Can we say together, God bless America, if you can really say it. And you can be seated. Now, America is not my ultimate home. I'm looking forward to my ultimate home, and that's going to be heaven. This is not my permanent country, but it is the nation that God allowed me to be born in, and it's the freest nation on earth. And so I'm very glad I wasn't born in Russia or China or North Korea or some of the many places where I could not have stood up here like this and preached or taught the Word of God. Amen? Now, somebody wisely said, a man who won't use his freedom to defend his freedom doesn't deserve his freedom. And I agree with that. And so I'm going to use my freedom today to defend my freedom. Amen? And I'm going to talk to you about the founding of of America, uh, the the truth of it. I'm not going to candy coat it. I'm not going to say that America is perfect. I'm not going to say that America hasn't committed great sins. It has. But, but I'm going to tell you the truth about the founding. Uh, on this Independence Day of 2021, I mean, this is July 4th. So I'm going to look at history, and, and I'm going to share with you how it all started. And, and everything I'm going to share with you is abundantly verifiable by historical documents, uh, kajillions of them everywhere. This is not conjecture. It's not what I wish things were. This is just historic fact, all right? The birth of America began with a group of people called the Pilgrims. We've all heard of the Pilgrims. And if you had asked a pilgrim in the 1600s, five centuries ago or more, what the word pilgrim meant, they would have said, oh, we're we're people on a journey of faith that begins at the cross and concludes in heaven. The pilgrims were thoroughly, totally committed Christians. That's what pilgrims were. And the first pilgrims came from England, and they were led by two Williams, William Brewster and William Bradford. Keep in mind that second William because he's the one that wrote the Mayflower Compact. The reason they looked for a new land to call home was to find religious freedom. That's why they left England and came here. Because you see, the pilgrims in England found themselves as Christians uh, in an increasingly hostile environment. English law was tyrannical. They had mandated that those who missed Anglican worship, and I say Anglican, I mean the official church of England, if they missed Anglican worship or attended unlawful services, and unlawful meant any church that was not Anglican or of the church of England, they would be severely punished. Can you imagine being mandated to go to a certain place? This is where you have to go to church. You have no option. You must go here. And to make it even worse, it was dead as a doornail, spiritually. 
and full of empty ritual. And so the situation got to the place where the pilgrims, these committed Christians, decided we've got to flee the country. If we're ever going to have religious freedom, go where we want, worship the way we want, follow the Lord the way we want, we're literally going to have to leave our home and hearth and country and go we know not where. This is how important freedom was to them. The clean air of religious liberty. Preach what you want. Go where you want. Worship the way you want. They wanted that liberty, and it became such an issue for them that they were willing, everybody, listen, think about selling your home, leaving your job, getting a flight out of America, knowing you would never return. That's how important the liberty was to them. Freedom. Freedom is a beautiful word. Freedom. Freedom. Well, they didn't know where to go, and the first place they went was to Amsterdam. They were in Amsterdam for a little while, and then they made it to Holland. And while in Holland, they were in Holland for about 11 years, and while they were in Holland, they began to pray for God's guidance, because they still didn't feel like we've landed where we're going to stay. But Holland was at least better than England. And so there they are in Holland. They got jobs, they, they, they made homes, and, and they stayed there for 11 years. But all the while, they're praying, God, where do you want us? Where do you want us to go? Where can we call home? Where can we build our own nation, our own land, where we've got the kind of freedoms that our souls are craving? They finally decided there's only one place to go, and it's that new land we've heard about, the place that would be America. There were two ships available to go in. One of them was not seaworthy. The other one was. It was called the Mayflower. The Mayflower was not a passenger ship. They were not in first class. Uh, they were in tiny, cramped quarters. Uh, disease moved through the Mayflower. They were in miserable conditions, and they sailed for 66 days. And after 66 days of really true misery, they, they spotted Cape Cod. And just like God's people who had journeyed to the promised land to find a brand new land and make a brand new home, the Mayflower unloaded them in the place called America to find a new way of life. And before they got off, before disembarking, remember William, William Bradford? He drew up the Mayflower Compact, which stated, listen carefully to it because our roots are here. This is our roots. I'm about to give you our roots. You want to hear about roots? This is our roots. In the Mayflower Compact, it said that people had equal rights and responsibility for the success of this brand new colony. And the compact outlined a democratic form of government that later helped to inspire the framers of the American Constitution. Listen to what it said, just part of it. It was signed on November 11th, 1620. And it said, quote, in the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. Can I read that again? Having undertaken this journey for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, 
we do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God who is watching and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And what were the ends aforesaid? Let me say it again. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's our roots. There's roots. Roots. That's roots. Now let's jump ahead about a century and a half to 1776. America has now grown to 13 colonies, and there's about 2 million people now on the American continent that call it home. 2 million. And in that historic year of 1776, the Declaration of our independence from England's tyranny was signed. This was a golden year, a beautiful year. It was the birth of freedom. It's why I can stand up here now and preach without fear of arrest. It's, it's why you could get up this morning and come to church, the church of your choosing, and wear what you want and come here, uh, the place you wanted, to listen to who you want, to worship the way you want. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble. Eleven years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, in 1787, 55 delegates drew up the most brilliant, ingenious document to ever govern a nation, the American, the United States Constitution. It's brilliant. To this day, it is overwhelmingly ingenious when you read it. The stop gaps, the, the, the things put in it, where, where, because the framers of the Constitution understood the fallen nature of man. And so they put all kinds of things in it so that tyranny could never again rule a nation, this nation anyway, so that tyranny could not raise its ugly head again as they had fled from in England. The Constitution was ratified on June 21st, 1788, where it became the official framework of the government of the United States. Now, three years later, along came the Bill of Rights. Everybody say rights. Three years later, the Bill of Rights was written and signed into law. And the Bill of Rights is what gives us the freedom to assemble like this today, gives me the right to preach uh, biblical truth without fear of arrest or governmental censure. Do you know I could not do this in North Korea? I could not do this in China. I could not do this in Russia. In most places in the world, I could not stand up and preach the Word of God as it is. Do you know that it's getting to the place you can't do it anymore in Canada? Are you aware that Canadian pastors have been handcuffed and carried off to jail with their children crying, holding on to their legs as they've been put into a car, police car, and taken off to jail and literally imprisoned for assembling together outside America or Canada's at our border. You think it can't come here? I'm telling you there are forces right now that would love for us to be at that place, would love to cancel me, would love to shut me up, would love to stop you from being able to go to church. What I want us to understand today is that America is a nation under siege, but there is an answer. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's the answer. The answer is telling the truth. Amen. 
The Bill of Rights, quote, prohibits the making of any law respecting an establishment of religion, of impeding the free exercise of religion, grants freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and the right to peaceably assemble like we are right now. And do you know that the separation of church and state is a myth? God never intended for government to be separated from church, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. The separation of church and state is nowhere in the Constitution. It's nowhere in the Bill of Rights. It is something that was made up later by people who did not like the church or religious liberty. Well, I was always raised telling, being told it was true, Jeff. Well, you were told wrong. It's not. Search the Constitution. It's not there. Search the Bill of Rights. It's not there. So the overwhelming uniqueness of America, its irresistible attraction to people from around the world, the reason it stands alone in the history of the world is the freedoms it makes available to mankind, the freedoms we enjoy today, and the freedoms that are worth fighting for and preserving because the American experiment is unlike anything in the history of the entire world. And with all of her problems, America still stands, the shining light on a hill as it relates to freedom to be human and live your life and pursue your dreams without governmental censure and control. Now, I told you I wasn't going to whitewash it or candy coat it. Saying all these things about America is true, but America is not and was not historically perfect. Unfortunately, the stain of slavery was practiced by many of the early American colonists as well as some of the founding fathers. This is absolute fact, no way around it. But since America's critics frame the argument as if slavery were totally unique to America, like we came up with it. And, that, and it makes us particularly evil, and it was evil. It's a stain on American history I wish I could undo. But it's not unique to America. The sin of slavery was tragically practiced throughout the world by Muslims who held black slaves by the hundreds of thousands by the North American Indian tribes who own black slaves before us and many, many more. One historian writes, the history of slavery is a large and untellable story full of tragedy and cruelty that spans both centuries and continents. Although it's difficult to pinpoint the exact year that slavery began, Historians can trace the roots of this inhumane practice roughly 11,000 years back, 11 millennia. America is 245 years old. So 11,000 years ago, this sad, tragic thing existed. America was doing what the world was doing. And tragically, early America practiced it and shouldn't have. And as America grew, it became strongest in the South due to the cotton industry. And sadly, a majority of Southern churches justified it and preached from the pulpits that it was biblical by badly misinterpreting Scripture. But let's be clear. While slavery was practiced on a wide scale... 
America was not founded in order to protect it. That's a lie of the 1619 Project. No, America was founded so that we could be free. Free to speak, free to worship, free to assemble, the right to carry arms to protect yourself. All kinds of freedoms, freedoms, freedoms is why it was founded. The good news is that it was primarily Christians that began to realize the evil of it and became instrumental in overthrowing it. And not just white Christians, but brown-skinned Christians, black-skinned Christians, Indian Christians, uh, Christians around the West and around the free world began to realize this is wrong. This is terribly wrong. Something's got to be done. And listen to what Wikipedia writes. If you go just look it up on the internet, Wikipedia says it was Christian activists who initiated and organized the abolitionist movement. Because if you cannot read Jesus Christ, you cannot read the teachings of Jesus and walk away feeling like one, one scintilla of slavery is right. Because Jesus said, I came to set you free. I came to set you free indeed. And, and so if you follow the teachings of Jesus, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, you cannot place your seal of approval on slavery. And that's what began to happen. People began to read their Bibles and go, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is wrong. Outstanding Christian men like William Wilberforce spent his entire life fighting it. And before he died, he saw slavery outlawed in England. One of my heroes, London pastor Charles Spurgeon, who I love, though I have never met, he was in the 1800s, but I read him all the time. And Spurgeon had some of his sermons burned in America due to his censure of slavery. He called it the foulest blot. And he was in London. As the truth of the evil of slavery began to sink in, many Methodist and Baptist and Presbyterian church members freed their slaves and then helped them start their own churches because the word of God was convicting them. And finally, President Lincoln came along. We should note that Lincoln's lifelong habit was to read his Bible each and every morning before the day began. He would get up and read his Bible. And here's what Lincoln said. I am naturally anti-slavery. If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. The North loved him. The South hated him because they were basing their entire industry on the slave market. And so he became the enemy of the South and the hero of the North and the hero of blacks. On September 22nd, 1862, President Lincoln issued a preliminary emancipation proclamation freeing more than 3 million black slaves in the Confederate States as of January 1st, 1863. He was so hated by the South that a lunatic named John Wilkes Booth began to target him and stalk him. He stalked him for months before he pulled off his assassination. He, he learned where he was going to go. He kept track of the theaters he was going to visit. He looked for his per perfect opportunity. And John Wilkes Booth, a rabid racist, a hater of Lincoln, and a lover of slavery, came behind the president in the theater as you all know, and shot him in the back of the head. 
out of hatred. President Lincoln was assassinated because he stood against slavery. That's our roots there. But what about the accusation the founding fathers were evil slaveholders and the majority were not Christian, nor did they intend to found a Christian nation? Some of them did have slaves. That is true. But here's the truth of their faith. Watch this. He said, well, Jeff, how could they have faith and still have slaves? Folks, how many of you can say, my understanding of truth grows all the time? And sometimes it takes God a long time to get something through my thick skull. Don't look so holy at me. Come on, everybody. How many of you can say, it took God a long time to get a certain truth through to me where I realized I'd been wrong and, and his word was right? And come on. All right. Not justifying them having slaves at all, but I'm saying some of them, it took time. But some of the ones who had slaves when the Constitution was written had changed and turned from that later on in their life. Here's the truth. 52 of the 55 founding fathers who worked on the Constitution were members of Orthodox churches. 52 of 55. Orthodox meaning truth preaching, Bible preaching churches. 52 of 55 were church-going Christians. So not surprisingly, one of the first acts of the new United States Congress, can you imagine Congress doing this, was to authorize the printing of 20,000 Bibles to give to the Indians. Can you imagine our Congress? Can you imagine CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, coming out and announcing, of course they never would, but let's just say they would, coming out and announcing the Congress just, just issued tax dollars for Bibles to be distributed. I would faint. You'd have to drag me to church. You'd have to stand me up here. And when you stood me up here, I would give praise to God. But it's not going to happen now, but it happened then. The men who founded our country clearly tied it to Christian principles. No doubt about it. Syndicated columnist Don Fetter stated, by today's standards, the founding fathers would be considered the religious right. In 1779, after the First Amendment was written, it gives me freedom of speech, us freedom to assemble. After it was written, the Supreme Court stated this. By our form, the Christian religion is the established religion. And all sects and denominations of Christians are placed under the same equal footing. Can you imagine today's Supreme Court saying Christianity is the religion of the land? But they did back then. You know why? Because it was. Christian author Tim LaHaye says that an early American Christian consensus is easily verified by the fact that prior to 1789, many of the states had the constitutional requirement that a man must be a Christian in order to hold public office. You had to be a Christian to run for office. Now you're better off not being Christian to run for office because they're going to lampoon you for being a Christian. But back then... If you were a Christian, that was one of the main ways you won office because people favored it. It wasn't looked at askance. It wasn't a negative. While Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian, he wrote, quote, God surely was no idle spectator when this great nation was born in his name 
and with His grace. Ben said that. The one that flew the kite with the key. In 1838, the legislature of New York declared that America was a Christian nation. I'm only quoting history here. Our forefathers never once sought to exclude God from this great nation. Not one time like they do now. Rather, they made every effort to, effort to include God in every great document. And this is one reason why America has stood as long as she has. We also note that in the Civil War, or prior to the Civil War, rather, 90% of all of America's college presidents, think of this, were preachers of the gospel. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Dartmouth, William and Mary, and Columbia were founded by Christian preachers. Did you know that? John Harvard of Harvard University was a pastor in Charleston, Massachusetts. He stated that the purpose of the university, university was that every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of his life and studies. What was to be the end of life and all of your studies? To know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. So with this bit of history in mind, a little bit of history, I could spend weeks on this. Are we a Christian nation as many claim or are we not? Are we a Christian nation as many claim or, or is that a falsehood? No. Well, if being a Christian nation means that everybody's a Christian or acts like a Christian or that all of our national decisions are based on Christian principles, then no, we're not a Christian nation. But if it means that Christianity was the overwhelming majority faith of our founding fathers, which it was, and if its influence is undeniably seen in our nation's founding documents, and it is, and if it's true that Christians' ethics and moral codes were accepted as the rule for our social order, and they were, then yes, we're a Christian nation, founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic and Christian principles. To get away from it is like trying to, to deny the sun is shining or the stars are in the sky or that we're sitting here today. It's so obvious. It's everywhere historically. In closing, I want you to listen carefully to the words of Chief Justice Earl Warren, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in 1954. Quote, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing the good book and the good spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. Whether we look to the first charter of Virginia or the charter of New England or the charter of Massachusetts Bay or the fundamental orders of Connecticut, the same object is present, a Christian land governed by Christian principles. Yeah. He continues, this is so good, I had to read the rest. I believe, he says, the entire Bill of Rights 
came into being because of the knowledge our forefathers had of the Bible and their belief in it. Freedom of belief, of expression, of assembly, of petition, the dignity of the individual, the sanctity of the home, equal justice of the law, and the reservation of powers to the people all came from the Bible. He closed out, I like to believe we are living today in the spirit of the Christian religion. I like also to believe that as long as we do so, no great harm will come to our country. I want you to notice the chief justice of the Supreme Court in the 1950s believed that when a nation uh, walked in Christian faith and, and at least on Christian principles, that there would be a divine protection over the land. He said so. No great harm can come to our country as long as we do so. That's what he believed, that there would be a protection, a hedge of protection around our country. And since we've departed now and walked away from God officially, have turned our back on the Bible, the blood of 60 million children stains the soil of America. America has now placed its seal of approval and even celebrated perversion. We're starting to persecute the righteous more and more. We're legislating things that are as unbiblical as the day is long. And we have told God essentially, don't need you, don't want you, don't got to have you. You're out. What now? The only thing that can change it is God. And, and you know what it's going to take? Truth-telling like this today. See, I'm not, a, I'm not an ear tickler. If you get mad at me, I don't want you to get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. But, it, but, if, but if, if I offend some people by this, I've had people get up and stomp out. <laughs> just by reading a Bible verse. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. Not today they didn't get up and stomp out. I see some of you looking around. <laughs> Not today. But, you see, we've reached a time, church, where so many will no longer endure sound doctrine. They won't listen to it. And there's a lot of people who don't want to hear the truth about America because they hate America, because they've been taught to hate America. America is full of issues and problems and sins. But, but our roots, our legacy is to have been founded in Christian principles and the Christian faith. It is. And so I'm all for, let's get it back. Let's get it back. Can we stand up together? How many of you are so glad for our roots today? Amen? Amen. So am I. I am. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we, we just thank you that, Lord, when we go back to the beginnings of this country, we see the pilgrims dedicating this land to God in the name of Jesus. It wasn't Buddhists or Muslims. It was not Mormons. It was not any other religious, world religious view. It was the Bible and Christians. And Christian principles. And Lord, when we see the way they honored you at the beginning, we understand why we've been so blessed. But Lord, as we stand here today, the blessing is in jeopardy. Freedom is in jeopardy. 
So Lord, help us as a church collectively and as people individually to not be afraid to speak up, to stand up, and to stand for scriptural truth and to turn these lies about our country back. And those that want to destroy this nation and start completely over, that their designs will not prosper. But Lord, you will give us an awakening We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank the Lord? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, uh, I want to remind you quickly of a couple of things. All you ladies, ladies, raise your hand. All right? All you ladies, the women's conference is coming up. The dates? Friday, August 27th. And Saturday, August 28th, Lisa Harper is going to be the speaker. We've had Lisa before. She is dynamite. She is good stuff. So I want to encourage you ladies to be sure you attend. Set us, put it aside on your calendar, August 27th, August 28th. It'll be a blessing to you. You'll get to know one another. You'll fellowship together. Nobody can fellowship like women. Nobody can get together. My wife will say to me, I'm going to meet so-and-so at, uh, at the, the restaurant. We're going to talk about the women's ministry. I say, okay, I'll see you. And in my head, I think I'll see her in an hour and 15 minutes or so. Five hours later, I make a call. Oh, we're still here. We're just wrapping up. You're still at the restaurant? Said, yeah, what have you been talking about? Oh, just the things of God, talking about ladies' ministry. I said, well, how many waitresses have you been through? And did you tip every one of them? Uh, they literally will sit there four to five hours. Men, we would get together. We would say, what about them cowboys and a couple other things? We'd eat and go home, but not women. And so women, you need to uh, come for August 27th, 28th for the women's conference. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be great. I encourage you to do that. Wednesday night, going through the book of Romans. This Wednesday, chapter 5. Read chapter 5. Bring your three-ring binder. It's been an incredible study. We're really getting into the T-bone stake of the Word of God. All right? Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, live and in person. Wednesday night live. All right? Let me pray for you, Father. On this July 4th, celebration of our independence, I pray, make your face to shine upon the people. Help us, Lord, to be walking billboards for God. Help us, Lord, to take a stand for truth. Help us to be bold and strong. And I thank you for blessing the people as they go out. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a blessed July 4th.